Just as I predicted, more DeAndre Ayton news coming down the pipeline as Bleacher reports Jake Fisher with several interesting scoops regarding Ayton's relationship with the Suns. The market for DeAndre Ayton will break all of it down and what it means on today's episode of Locked On Suns. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past five seasons and a writer at suns.com and Dime Magazine. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen today and every day. We're not going anywhere. The offseason is just getting kicked off, as today's show's main topic will obviously indicate. This reporting is uh, is just the, be- just the beginning, just the tip of the iceberg. So if you're listening on any podcast platform, go ahead and hit follow or subscribe there to not miss a show. And if you're finding us on YouTube, a big welcome. Hit subscribe down below and leave me a comment telling me what you think this latest reporting on Aiton means for the Suns and whether they keep the big man down the line. <clears throat> I don't have a lot to say about all NBA nods for Chris Paul and Devin Booker, so I'm sure many of you saw that. You might have been expecting some conversation about it on the show. I saw it as well. I'm recording this before Sun, uh, Mavs Warriors Game 4, but of course this is not a, a Warriors or a Mavs podcast. This is a Suns podcast, so I won't have my thoughts on any of that stuff because uh, I think Chris Paul and Devin Booker are very deserving. I think that they had a tremendous seasons. It's just a little weird to, to kind of pump that up right now when there's so many other questions facing the team. Again, today's show is going to mostly just focus on DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I didn't want to let the moment pass, though, uh, without at least addressing the shooting today. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to bore you guys with my thoughts. It's not an issue that I feel super, super well-read on, to be, quite frankly, to be quite frank with you guys. So go listen to what Steve Kerr said. Those thoughts are, are very much what my mind is echoing right now. It feels weird to mention it. I know it's a Suns podcast. I know I'm just a dude in his room. But uh, look, I'm 25. This stuff has been happening my entire life. And uh, it's it's exhausting. So I guess maybe the reason I'm saying something is it's on my mind. Whether uh, you guys want to, to think about it as much uh, or not. <laughs> so I appreciate you bearing with me on that. But let's get into the Suns stuff because that is... Uh, that's what's on my mind too right now is DeAndre Ayton and what happens. And uh, you try to mix the good and the fun with some of the ugly and the bad. And it's just the reality of life. So I guess I, that's my attempt to juggle all of it at one time. And, and I appreciate you guys continuing to listen on a day like this, quite frankly. But Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report. He's been on top of a lot of Sun stuff over the past couple of years with Bleacher Report. He's been on this show once talking about Jalen Smith, and he was on that story. Knew, knew the Suns had no plans to keep Jalen Smith, and he got that right, and he's, uh, he's one of the best insiders around. So I trust a lot of what's coming out. But I do want to read it to you. And this first section, I'm just going to say, what does this actually tell us? And then we'll get into some of the juicier stuff regarding Monty and then what it really, does it change anything about where the Suns stand with DeAndre Ayton? So that'll be sort of the rundown. Here is what Fisher reported. There are three teams most often linked by league personnel as Ayton, Ayton's potential suitors on the open market, Atlanta, Detroit, and Portland. Multiple team executives also pointed to Charlotte and San Antonio. 
The Suns romped through seven straight games with eight in sideline in mid-January. Veteran journeyman centers JaVale McGee and Bismack Biombo capably filled that seven-foot hole in Phoenix's lineup. If the Suns could sign Biombo midseason to just a veteran minimum deal and Chris Paul could steer him into a serviceable rotation player, could Paul not have the same success with the big man far less costly than what Ayton's next deal will be? I think that's all pretty straightforward, all things considered. And that is just one portion of what Jake reported, so I will get to the rest momentarily in terms of the relationship side of this, but that is the market, the suitors, which I talked about in last week's episode when I broke down DeAndre Ayton's whole situation and what the options were and all of that, that we didn't know a lot until we started to hear concrete names of suitors. This is sort of that. I do feel pretty good that I guessed correctly on the Atlanta portion of this because uh, something I didn't read in there is um, Jake Fisher talked about Clint Capella, who's a player that I went in depth on yesterday. I do just want to say, again, I know that just Capella for Aiton straight up is not allowed, and I laid all of that out again in my initial episode on Aiton. But you can make the deal work with three-teamers and everything else, this gives us a little bit more. So Atlanta is named in there, as I predicted it would be. Detroit and Portland, those are obvious. Those teams both either have cap space or can create cap space to get themselves close enough to make an offer. Same with Charlotte. And then San Antonio, I believe, actually just has the space. Still, um, the wording here is most often linked by league personnel, uh, which is... Very vague. It's not to say that the report doesn't hold weight. I do think that it's pretty legit. That's a lot of how this stuff gets done is insiders like Jake Fisher go around and report on what do other teams expect? Because look, uh, DeAndre Ayton's agents, James Jones, these guys, they're not going to tell us flat out what what they want to do two months ahead of time because they would be pretty dumb to do that. I don't think many of us in uh, you know professional negotiations and things like that, just walk straight up and say, here's what I'm going to go for, take it or leave it. That's not very smart. So this is the way that this information moves. I just don't think it tells us anything concrete. These are all teams that either have cap space, need a center, or both. So it's not as if there's a wild card team. It's not like the Knicks or the Lakers. I don't know. It's not something that is outside of what any of us could have guessed on our own. I also feel like from this particular section, in terms of the market and the potential suitors, the Chris Paul angle in in what I read is all wrong, in my opinion. And again, I'm not sure if it's actually what the Suns are thinking or if it's just sort of the speculation and, and guessing of other rival executives, which is what I think it is. But Chris Paul, uh, yeah... Maybe Chris Paul could turn Bismack Biombo consistently into a passable center this season. Maybe he could turn a guy like DeAndre Jordan into you know, a near all-star in, in, in Chris Paul's prime. But the version of Chris that we've seen at the end of two straight Suns postseason runs at ages 36 and 37, that guy couldn't even help DeAndre Ayton be his best, which is why we're in this entire situation from the jump. That's the reason that we're even having this conversation is that Aiton wasn't at his best in large part because his offense has been so dependent on Chris's. 
So the idea that Chris is just going to be able to continue to be the guy into his late 30s that can turn any old player into a star at the center spot, I don't think is a realistic way to plan any of the contingency plans and the future of this franchise. That doesn't seem realistic at all. You need, if you're going to move on from Aiton, whether you get this player back in a trade directly like Capella might be, or you get a different type of player, which Jake goes into in the next section, which I'll read in the next segment, who is more on the wing, whatever way you go with the trade, your replacement center for Aiton needs to be a guy who fits with Devin Booker on offense. And he needs to be a player who fits how Monty Williams wants the team to play. That means high IQ, good screener, good rebounder, somebody who can um, you know, run a little bit, somebody who has a, the versatility along with that IQ to execute a lot of different roles like DeAndre Ayton has, and especially on the defensive end. And that's the most important thing. The idea of like, oh, let's roll into next season with a minimum guy at our as our starting center, unless you're telling me that the wing that they're getting back or the guard that they're getting back is like a superstar, I don't think that's a very smart thing. We just saw, for example, the Nets basically do that and it burned them. They didn't have the talent to match up with Boston in inside. They didn't have the depth at many positions to compete at a high level. You cannot just burn a position. So I don't buy the Chris Paul part of that. And I also think the market, we haven't really landed on anybody specifically linked who has you know, started to poke around what an offer might look like or anything close to that. This is telling us a lot of things we already know. And it seems to be some pretty reckless speculation, not by Jake, but by the reporters that he, the, the executives rather that he's reporting and talking with the next part of his report, though, tells us a whole lot more, and that's where I want to go next. First, though, guys, today's show brought to you by Built Bar. I just placed my order. Actually, as I sat down and opened my laptop to uh, record today's show, got home from work, sat down, and oh my goodness, the best news of the day. Uh, Built, your order from Built.com has shipped. I ordered a 18-pack, 12-pack, 18-pack of peanut butter brownie, which uh, I mean, I know I, I've told you guys double chocolate is my favorite, and it is, but my wife and I love peanut butter brownie. It's we don't agree we like protein bars, both of us, because we're we're both gym gym rats to a certain degree, but like we never seem to like the same flavor. She likes this one, I like this one. Sometimes we'll have two stocked. In this case, we both love peanut butter brownie. I'm literally gonna have to like set aside my own portion because uh, she's home more than I am, and I'm nervous that she will eat all of them. But that's because they're delicious. That's because they're healthy for you. And uh, that's because we can't get enough of them. So my order is coming soon. If you guys want to lock yours in as well, whether it's peanut butter brownie or the newly released brownie batter puff, it's all available at built.com. When you make your purchase, go to built.com again. Promo code LOCK15 at purchase to get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. The juicier part of Jake Fisher's reporting over at Bleacher Report about DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams in this case is uh, is where I want to go next because again it tells us a lot more concrete stuff, a lot more real, tangible stuff about what's going on here. So, without further ado, here is what Jake wrote: There were intel questions surrounding Ayton's motor and work ethic dating back to his days at Arizona, but the 23-year-old has seemed to largely answer those doubts throughout the first four seasons of his professional career. 
The recent Williams dynamic may simply echo consistent word dating back to the trade deadline from league sources with knowledge of the situation that Aiton is not particularly a favorite of Phoenix's head coach. Again, not particularly a favorite of Phoenix's head coach. Jake went on to write, Williams has purportedly griped about Aiton's waning focus, which some people contacted by Bleacher Report said has often been reflected by the ebbs of Aiton's playing time. There's a stronger sense among league figures that Phoenix Brass simply does not view Aiton or any center as a player worth greater than $30 million annually. Okay, so again, just to hit the highlights there, Aiton is not a particular favorite of Monty Williams. Monty Williams has griped about Aiton's focus level, and that has something to do with Aiton's playing time overall. And I don't think it's just regarding, obviously, the Game 7. I think that what Jake is saying there is, is in general. If you maybe missed it, DeAndre Aiton actually played um, fewer minutes per game. It's descended over the past three seasons. So Monty's first season here, obviously Aiton... Um, only played 38 games. That was the suspension season, but he was at 32.5, 30.7 last year, and 29.5 this year. And then last but not least among those highlights is Phoenix Brass simply does not view Aiden or any center as a player worth greater than $30 million annually. Okay, so let me tell you what I make of all of this. Again, I do think this is much more concrete and important than the market stuff was in Jake's report. So I think one part off the top is Monty Williams clearly has a pretty big voice in decision-making in Phoenix. Um, I've, I've sort of always felt like that was part of the, the deal when it came to him picking the Suns. He picked the Suns, obviously, you know, very notoriously over the Lakers, a franchise that probably was not willing to give him any sort of say in that type of stuff. Number one, because they have so many cooks in the kitchen over there. And number two, because LeBron James is always going to carry a big level of weight in terms of what happens in the roster and behind the scenes of the teams that he plays for. And I could see why Monty would, would be turned away from that and I could also see why the Suns would maybe offer it to him as, you know, part of the, 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 the sway to get him here. I also think they have a pretty tiny front office. But still, I mean, hearing, you know, the, the concerns seeming to mostly stem from Monty regarding Aiton and having that seem to play a big factor in why the Suns might not want to bring him back that says Monty has a pretty major voice. So that's that's interesting. And it's something to sort of pocket away as we move through as we move through the whole offseason, but especially this situation. The other part about this that I again sort of disagree with um, was from that that first section. The 23-year-old has seemed to largely answer those doubts throughout the first four seasons of his professional career. I disagree with that completely. Um, I don't think he's answered the doubts. I think it's perfectly reasonable for the Suns to still have doubts about his intensity, his focus, his, his drive. I don't think it's, you don't get to where DeAndre Ayton is in his professional career without it being at a very high baseline. I think it dips below that baseline at times. And I think that it's not, it doesn't often soar above that baseline. 
I think a few things over the first few seasons of his career show us that, that those questions have not been answered. First of all, Monty's first season here, DeAndre Ayton got suspended. Not to say that people don't grow from things. It's been three years. I'm not trying to say that that still should be a major role, play a major role in the Suns' decision here, but it matters. And it definitely reinforced some of the concerns about his commitment, you know, just commitment. Uh, I don't think that Aiton still after four seasons has ever had what I would consider a great regular season from start to finish from a intensity standpoint. Like, you know, go. I think Aiton is a player who could go out and average, you know, 12, 13 rebounds a game. In the playoffs last year, Aiton averaged 12 rebounds per game. He's never averaged more than 11 and a half in a regular season, and that's even with pretty low minutes totals. He's not a guy that's asked to go out and play 36 minutes a night, and he still has maintained a pretty... He's basically been the same player every season of his career in those departments. You know, he's not been a guy who has this aggressive scoring edge. On top of that, I I feel like you might get a month from Aiton where he's awesome like that. He's doing it on both ends. He's he's grabbing every single spare rebound. He's scoring like a, a bat out of hell. And then you might get two weeks where he looks very ordinary. I don't think he's had a regular season where you're you're just thrilled with him on a nightly basis. The best players are like that. Max players are like that. All-stars are like that. And then also, I, t- I mean, he went viral last season. I think he had some amazing games in the postseason, but I also don't think it's a coincidence that maybe one of the biggest lingering moments from the postseason last year when it comes to Aiton, aside from the value, I guess, is that he was going viral for the moment when when Monty is is basically getting in his face and telling him to play with better force and not hang his head and and keep, keep up the intensity. And last but not least, most recently, once again, the thing that sort of got us into this mess is he checked out on the team against Dallas. I think most everybody laid an egg and did not bring it from an intensity standpoint in that game seven especially, but Aiton, you know, if you're... If you're concocting a perfect version, and I know nothing's perfect, of what your core group that you pay an immense amount of money for looks like, it probably includes a lot of players who are able to get the team out of that rut. Galvanize your team. Go out and get a bucket when you need one. Go out and get a stop when you need one. Nobody did that. And I think that's why we're looking around at every single player in this program right now and thinking... Are they here for the long run? And I think that everybody deserves that question outside of maybe Devin Booker, maybe Mikhail Bridges, but I don't think anyone is really safe from criticism here. And Aiton is one of those, but he happens to be the guy facing a huge level of commitment long-term. And and that has to play a portion. So I don't think that he's answered the doubts about his motor. I think that's a massive part of what the Suns are are dealing with and, and have to think about. All of the things that the Suns want to be as a program, as a culture, as as an organization long-term under James Jones and Monty Williams, they they want to be a headstrong team. They want to have tireless dudes who make each other better and bring it at an intensity level that no one can match almost every single night. Those things don't always describe DeAndre. And to me, it's no surprise that the head coach and the guy who created that program, laid the foundation for it, would take issue with somebody not bringing it and and matching what's expected of them 
every day. I think that that's totally reasonable. And I think it's, it, it's probably the main thing standing in the way of DeAndre Ayton getting what he wants, which is a five-year max contract to stay with the Suns and continue to compete for championships. So let me tell you what I think it all means a little bit more from Jake Fisher and how does this change what we already were expecting in this process. First, today's show brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one stop, your number one source for all sports betting needs and info throughout the sports calendar, whether that is the basketball playoffs, which are still going on, the baseball regular season. I'm going to get sucked in. I'm, I'm already... I'm already betting on it. Uh, the the Diamondbacks are just good enough where, you know, when there's it's a, a night where there's no WNBA, there might not be a lot going on in the sports world. We know how the summer can be. I'm flipping on the Diamondbacks. I already know it. Let me see here. Baseball. Let's see. The Diamondbacks are two and a half run favorites here on Tuesday night as I'm looking at this against the Royals, which I believe would be a game to bring them back to 500. You still have Western Conference Finals odds, NBA Championships odds. You have MLB props. Let's see what they have for the Royals. You can bet the Diamondbacks by four or more runs, plus 225. They're, they're constantly updating stuff. That's what's great about Bet Online. They have news, analysis, podcasts even to keep you up to date. And of course, you got to be checking back for the lines themselves to be changing. Live, live betting, esports, all of it. So again, head to betonline.net or use their mobile app to learn more about the latest trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, a lot more to talk about here, actually, because I want to get into what does this actually change? Does it change anything regarding the path forward between Aiton and the Suns? I want to touch, though, on the last piece of what Jake Fisher reported in that previous segment, which was... The Suns do not view Aiton, and then this part is most important, or any center as a player worth greater than $30 million annually. I don't buy that, okay? So I do buy the relationship stuff. I do buy the questioning of the intensity. I don't buy some of the other details, and this is one of them. I actually think that this is an area where Monty and James Jones might not fully align. I'm not certain if they both feel this way, but what they've done is actually invest quite a bit in the center position under James Jones. When you obviously, Aiton was drafted before James Jones was the full-time general manager. He was still the SVP of player personnel or whatever it was called at that time, but he was there. So that's obviously the biggest investment you really can ever make as the number one overall pick. But even after that, Rashawn Holmes, who they traded a pretty good second round pick for, uh, Aaron Baines, who they acquired with... Um, alongside a first-round pick to uh, get Ty Jerome. Dario Saric, who they acquired along with a pick as well that same night. JaVale McGee, who they signed for more than I thought anyone was going to be offering him to just go out there and say, hey, we need a great backup center. So the Suns have actually put a lot of resources into the center spot. Monty's style of play, I think, is the reason why. He wants somebody who's a good screen setter, who can make plays from the elbows, run some of that dribble handoff stuff from those positions on the floor, who can roll to the rim aggressively and finish, who can protect the rim on the other side and execute that drop coverage and, and be the, the, the garbage man at the back line of the defense. And then also somebody who can run the floor and play off of missed shots and play off of turnovers. The Suns want to be a team that turns defense into offense. They're not always as fast as I think some of them, some of us would like them to be, but that's the ideal. 
and Monty wants that. He's also leaned toward big lineups, almost to a fault. So I just highly doubt that the Suns are so anti-center internally that they don't see any center as worth $30 million. That doesn't seem realistic to me. I think that there's, again, relationship reasons, culture reasons that maybe Aiton doesn't quite feel right to them, but they definitely are going to need a center to do quite a bit based on how they play. Here's more from Jake. He wrote, if the Suns let Aiton walk, league officials expect Phoenix to try and engineer a sign and trade for some front court help. That would require tricky cap calculations and possibly a third team. That's what I've been talking about for a few shows now. And then uh, he went on to say, perhaps Portland, where free agent center Yusuf Norkic is expected to command far less than Aiton on the open market, could be a trade partner. Maybe they double sign and trade. I, that, that doesn't usually happen. I actually don't think Nurkic would be involved at all if the Suns were to make a trade with Portland. They might still want to trade uh, sign Nurkic, but I don't think the trade will be there. And then uh, back to Jake's writing, Detroit's longstanding willingness to discuss Jeremy Grant could provide a window for Phoenix to nab a versatile front court defender in return. So... All that I see there is, again, you know, Jake's reporting based on what he's heard from other executives around the league, other uh, insiders around the league, people that work in the NBA, agents, etc., that the Suns aren't expected to let Aiton walk for nothing. Okay, duh. I don't think anyone would reasonably predict that. That would be a monumental failure on the Suns' part. That a sign-and-trade would take three teams— you know, the math basically dictates that that's going to have to be true. And that teams like Detroit have trade options on the table that make sense. Detroit and Portland in this particular instance. He also talked about Clint Capella for Atlanta. None of these trades are particularly surprising. This, again, is not out of the realm of what we've already sort of predicted. Anybody who can have access to a cap sheet in the NBA on Spot Track or anywhere else could have said some of this stuff. So, it feels like executives around the league don't necessarily know. They're they're tentatively feeling like a sign-and-trade is on the table, but they don't know exactly what direction it will go. This reporting in this, again, the market aspect, doesn't tell us a lot about the nitty-gritty stuff with Aiton's decisions or who he could talk with or anything that we didn't already have an idea of. But it does indicate that the tensions, I think, between Aiton and Sun's decision-makers run pretty deep. And the fact that, you know, again, reading some of the tea leaves here, league sources with knowledge of the situation, some people contacted by BR, it feels like that reporting is probably also not directly coming from the Suns, which means to me that not only was that tension pretty deep, that it affected things as, you know, on as explosively as game 7, which was not over the top but but mattered, but also that other people around the NBA knew it. Not that says something to me. That says that it was it was pal- uh, it was potent enough that other people who aren't in Phoenix started to catch wind of it. Um that that's pretty that's pretty big to me. So I think that Jake is telling us a lot more here that would lead me to feel like the Suns are skeptical about keeping Aiton much more than it tells me who is going to be the team to come swoop in and get him. 
The only, I've said this from the beginning, the only reason the Suns would not keep Aiton is if they just didn't think it was tenable to keep him around at such a high dollar figure for all the reasons we've talked about for the past couple weeks. I think the reality is we got a little bit closer to that possibility today. That matters. We're, we, are, we are trending closer to the peruse the market and, and explore trades side of things than we then we are the opposite, which is let's get a five-year deal done and move on and, and head toward next season trying to win a championship. That that's not what's coming out more more you know much at all really. James Jones, DeAndre Ayton, uh, sorry James Jones, Monty Williams, Devin Booker all given an opportunity to commit to him fully. James Jones went the closest to that to sort of I think mop up the mess, but aside from that, nothing has really indicated that the Suns are moving toward a full-throated endorsement of let's keep this guy around and he's a core part of our future, period. No questions asked. That's that's not the messaging. And that, uh, that's a bummer, I guess, uh, in terms of wanting the team to be at its best. But who knows? Maybe they pull a rabbit out of a hat. Maybe they are able to keep things afloat, retool a little bit. A lot of options on the table. A lot still to be sorted out. We're not going anywhere. Hope you guys are uh, enjoying the break from basketball a little bit. Um, enjoying the time with your with your loved ones on a day like this. Uh, just you know, eye opening in terms of the uh, the the difficulty of of savoring those moments. I don't think we do it often enough, and, and today's a reminder to do that, I guess. But uh, that's it for today. I will be back tomorrow. We'll see what comes along. You never know when a big another another big news story is going to plop into your lap, but. Hit subscribe, hit follow, and we'll all go on the journey together. Now go make Locked On NBA your second listen, folks, to make up on everything going on around the league on Tuesday night.